Welcome to Be and Think in the House of Trust, a podcast with and for people who love to invest in social and environmental change. My name is Sylvain Moisan, and together with my guests, I look at the conditions that generate more trust, more effective and kind collaborations. We also look at what makes it easier for these people in this ecosystem to amplify their impact, to embrace complexity and do some work that really changes things for the better. And with us today, we have two wonderful women, Shivani Gupta from India and Laura Samogi from Brazil. And they're sharing the CEO seat at the Humanity Foundation. And the Humanity Foundation aims to accelerate gender equality through innovative investments and close collaboration with social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial organizations that address women's agency and progress. Laura, you're also the director of the Humanity Award uh, on top of your list, which, which addresses gender-based violence through the deployment of evidence-based programs in self-to-self -self partnerships. I must share as a disclaimer that I was holding this position and handed the baton over to you, Laura, in, in your safe and, and secure uh, hands in 2017. So it's a very special conversation for me today. Thank you, you two, Shivani and Laura, for being in the House of Trust today. So let's get started. If you had only one sentence to introduce yourselves, uh, starting with, I'm someone who's passionate about, what would you say? Gosh, that's a start, start. Um, I am passionate. I love working with people and talking, discussing, brainstorming to find solutions together. I love, I love to work like that. Thank you, Laura. Shivani, what about you? I think um, I would say I would love to make work towards making this world more peaceful and equitable, uh, not only on gender, but other things as well. You are sharing the CEO seat at the table. And Shivani, maybe I'd love to ask you, what's special about this CEO partnership? So, you know, actually, this is the first time I am a CEO of any company. So, firstly, I don't know any other model. And I think it's almost like having a partner in crime. I know it's a wrong analogy, but it is like uh, there is somebody who is sharing your responsibilities, sharing your angst, sharing your joys. Um, and also, uh, given the kind of personalities that two of us are, we are quite, quite opposite in our thinking too. Of course, the purpose is the same, but we have fairly different personalities. So I feel, A, I have learned a lot and B, our decisions are more rounded. Maybe a bit delayed, but certainly more rounded. I love this. I love <laughs> Thanks, Giovanni. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. For me, it's the same. It's the first time I'm on a C position. Uh, and for me, it's just a model that makes total sense because there's no point in doing this by yourself. So I think even when you're working by yourself as like one CEO, I think I do believe in having people close to you that are not yes men to start with and then can collaborate. Mm -hmm. And I think having two really brings, as Shivani said, like the richness of perspectives, 
Yes, even holding each other's hands sometimes to make some decisions, having someone to bounce off your ideas, and not being lonely. And and we discuss a lot about that, about at Humanity we have, I mean, it's a very small team. We try to be as, I mean, we are quite flat. A lot of the decisions are made in collaboration, asking the team's opinion. So we both work like that. And, but I think it brings another level of sharing, of showing what you don't know, right? And I think because, as Giovanni said, we have very different personalities, I think a lot of complementary skills. So it's been quite intuitive. Nobody told us how to do it. We discussed a little bit in the beginning, and then we're just learning by doing, and I, I think it's working really well. I, I'm really enjoying it. It sounds like a very agile way of resolving the angst of all the CEOs in the world, and you found it. I think it's, uh, I don't want to kind of take away the hard work which goes behind it. It's not like one day we were not uh, the CEOs and the next day it was all running. I think there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of belief, but there was also a lot of hard work. We have spent hours on calls because uh, Laura is based in London. I'm in Mumbai. And actually, the first time we met in person was after we became the co-seer. A lot of investment has gone into it. And it's been primarily the time investment. But it also comes from, a, I, I feel a deep respect that we are working towards the same issue or same purpose. Right. So deep respect and, and a common language towards the, the purpose that you seek to to, uh, Absolutely. to accomplish. Right. I would add one more thing. I think values aligned. We have our, I think our values are very aligned. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So let's talk about, the, you've got values, purpose, uh, respect. And I want to just maybe deep dive a little bit more about the purpose of humanity. And as a finance provider, where do you find yourself on that spectrum? How unique are you? Shivani. <laughs> I think it's a it's an interesting position to be in, right? Because what we are what we call ourselves an operational foundation, which means that we of course design our own programs, our founder funds a chunk of the operational cost, but we also go ahead and raise money for our programs as well. Mm-hmm. So within that construct of actually giving money and getting money from other grant makers. I think we are in a very good position to understand the power dynamics of the relationships that money gets uh, or which are established on the premises of, you know, grants coming one way or the other. Mm. And um, I think it's been an interesting journey. It's been an evolution for humanity as well as to how do you become more conscious? How do you become more grounded? And how do you get closer to grassroots organizations? And that's, I'm relatively new to the organization, three years only. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, over the last three years itself, we've had, I think, numerous rounds of discussion within our leadership team on what do we stand for? uh, What are the do's? And what are the absolute don'ts, I would say, in the house? So I think from a finance perspective, the key has been in a journey of understanding how money can be such a driver for power dynamics. Mm. And because I was in corporates, everybody had money, like depending on your level, but it was really the hierarchy we used to drive a lot of the power dynamics. So it's been a new reflection for me personally. 
That's interesting because I've read a lot about what you know what you've put out um, uh, online and, and also in conferences and everything around that question of power and money. There's something around decolonizing and and really looking sharply at the issue of wealth in philanthropy that's that's coming up here. And I, I wonder what's what you've been experimenting with that issue. Well, I think it's first understanding where we are. I mean, going back to the question you asked before, like where we are in the ecosystem, who we are, being very aware of the power we hold by being who we are. So we are a Swiss private foundation from the global, so Swiss from the global north, very different from the very big foundations. We don't have an endowment. As Sivan explained, we need to fundraise. So we are in this space of going on both sides, giving and receiving. Mm -hmm. But I think the first thing is really reflection on who we are, how people perceive us in our relationships. So it's not only how you think you are presenting yourself, but how people perceive and being very aware of it all the time in every conversation and depending on with whom you're talking and being very intentional about it. So give one example. So we talk at Humanity Awards support organizations. And again, in that relationship, we are the funders, right? So we hold the money, therefore, potentially you hold the power, right? So when we're having conversations, I am always very upfront in saying, I know that I'm representing the donor and this comes with power imbalance, mm -hmm. but as much as possible in this conversation, I won't be working as a partner to work with you, not to challenge you, but to work with you to understand what the issues are and how we can solve it. Um, and sometimes I realize it works, Sometimes, no matter what I say, it doesn't work because, because the world is as it is and power and money are very close. Mm. But I think for me, the other thing is also the understanding that there are other things that give power. So knowledge is power as well. And they have a knowledge that we don't have. Mm -hmm. So as part of the work we do, for instance, I have been uh, giving workshops on partnership building. And then we talk about partnerships and we say, okay, what the resources each one of you or each one of us are bringing to this partnership? And money is one of them. Money is not everything, right? Mm. So being aware that everybody has power in different ways and, and calling it out. People still, even the people who have the knowledge, sometimes don't understand that that's power as well. It's not only that, not, not only money is power. So long answer. Right. So power's got different layers, prison with different facets. There's issue about how you perceive others, how they perceive you. I've read in an article that you uh, put out recently, all of us thought for a while that, you know, you need to do to others what you want them to do to you. But in fact, you talk about a platinum rule that supersedes this belief, you know, do to others what they want to be done to them. And that requires listening, compassion, and devolution of power. Um, and I wonder, how did this platinum rule influence your work personally and as co-CEOs of the Womanity Foundation? It's been a process uh, to be absolutely candid because I think it's a mind shift for a lot of us in the ecosystem, right? We as funders, we as grantees, um, and for us, it's been because I uh, I was like kind of fortunate enough to launch a new program. Therefore, setting the rules up front was 
kind of our responsibility, right? My responsibility. A few things that we did to at least start having these conversations with our potential NGO partners and grantees was to put it out in a paper. So we wrote in black and white, what are the rules by which we do our grant making? Mm -hmm. We clearly talked about failures, learning from failures. We clearly talked about you asking us as many questions as we ask you questions, because once the contract is done, it's about managing the project well. It doesn't make a difference who is going to kind of do it, right? And also, I think it all translates to the body language and the language and the conversations which happen mm -hmm. uh, with those partners in the room. And to me, success is when they call you irrespective of the reporting side, right? Like, oh, Shwani, I need a gender expert. Can you kind of help us find that person? So when you become a true partner beyond the money conversation is where you have at least made a couple of steps towards having a more equal relationship. I think it's been semi-successful in a way because some organizations are more ready for it and some organizations are not. And it's not their fault. It's nobody's fault. It's just that traditionally there has been a very, very strong power dynamic between the two uh, grant makers and the grantees. Mm. And people are not sure whether you are real or whether you're just putting it up. Mm. So I think it's been an interesting journey in the last uh, almost 15, 16 months that I have been doing it. And it's been rewarding in times. It's been super challenging at times. Uh, I think it's something which has been built over probably three or four decades. So we should give it a decade to come down as well. So maybe steps, but long way to go. So I think there's, there's a convening objective here where everybody has to learn a new language and, and go over the shock of being treated with respect somehow. And that takes a while for all parties. Absolutely. So there, there is a notion of, okay, the platinum rule, you know, do to others what they want to be done to them, learning that new language, traveling together with this new practice, testing the ground. And, and that question about decolonization, I know that's really important to you. What does it mean in practice for a foundation such as yours to decolonize itself? And maybe I'm, I'm going to ask about these things that might not be, or that might be hidden in plain sight, but, you know, not necessarily just to work with grantees, but the boards, the traditional boards, the founders, etc. How do you all work together in practice behind the scene? in order to let the community have self-determination and power over resources. How did that work? Well, I think there are lots of layers to that. So I think one thing is, first of all, having these conversations internally, right? And really reflecting. So it's interesting that now there are two of us. Uh, so it's already sharing power within right? And as, as Shivani said, we have a leadership team. So as a lot of decisions are made collectively. So this is more about like sharing, not so much of decolonizing. I think it's really, if I can give an example of what we do with the Manich Award and we have South to South collaborations is again, not seeing that what we know and what no, is knowledge for us is the one that's worth more. Right? Because I think that's a really big thing as part of decolonizing philanthropy is decolonizing knowledge. 
if you don't see that what others know is as valuable as you know and maybe for what the, the crisis we're facing now with the environment maybe even more valuable like regenerative agriculture ancestral knowledge so all these things are incredibly important for social impact i still there's a lot of tendency and angst to say okay i they don't know how to do if they do that to be so much more effective or using metrics that come from the capitalist system to measure social impact like scrap that you can't they're they very different for me they're very different things so instead of telling to the partner what you want them to achieve is asking them what you want to achieve what is sustainability for you because we always say how oh, we want to support organizations we want them to become sustainable mm-hmm. what we may understand about sustainability might be very different from what they understand by sustainability so for instance two examples where i had discussions internally with also the founder uh, and the board when we were discussing about Afghanistan, what happened, what we're doing in Afghanistan with all with the Taliban seizing power and the bans, and we had to put our program on hold. Going out, talking to lots of different people in different positions in the ecosystem to understand what's going on there, and understanding that keeping an organization alive is social impact. Mm-hmm. And to have that conversation internally say, maybe for some a period of time, you're not going to have a big impact. We're not going to be reaching thousands of people. So I think for me, that's, that's a bit of the colonizing of the knowledge internally. Like it's not only about having big numbers or even during COVID, a lot of the work, and we have a special fund for organizations working on prevention of violence during COVID. And for them, some the money was used for them not to close, to pay salaries. Mm-hmm. It's okay keep the, retaining the knowledge within and so that they could rebounce once the time was right, right? Yeah, being alive basically is like keeping the women's organizations alive is already impact. So I, li- I like that because there is a systems approach here where you're not just stuck in your old ways of operating, but you zoom in out and you say, okay, what else is going on here that we could influence or rally partners around? So... And your observation, a candid observation, as you were saying earlier, not just for humanity, but that ecosystem, the ecosystem is moving and a lot of people are trying to do that work and they're really working hard to do that decolonizing word or that systems practice. And I wonder what might be limiting the thinking of the organization in the ecosystem, you know, as they try to put these benevolent thoughts into practice. I think... um... Like you rightly said, right? A lot of good work and a lot of resources are going to a good causes, specifically gender. So you see so much, so many billion dollars being allocated to it. I think the couple of um, challenges which people face, and let me start with one of the challenges as a funder. I think as a funder, a lot of the challenge is just couple of them. One is the transparency which comes across from the non-profit partners. In some cases, lack of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the relationship starts with a trust deficit. And the entire three years or two years or five years is spent in actually coming to a place where there is some level of trust. So I think that's one issue I feel a funder uh, really struggles. I think the second thing that I have been talking to a lot of the larger funders, if, if I may say, they really struggle to work with small grassroots organizations. 
Uh, and when I talk about small, uh, like if I look at an Indian context, it's I'm talking about organizations which have an annual budget of less than half a million dollars, mm-hmm. typically, right? So because their systems and processes are not geared up to talk to a large funder and, and vice versa, there is a, a bit of a disconnect in that ecosystem in my uh, in my view, whether it's gender, whether it's education, whether it's uh, comprehensive rural development, those kind of issues, right? Uh, the issues which are not in the forefront, like education, healthcare, and livelihoods, tend to suffer a lot. Um, and if I, if I was to go from the nonprofit side, I think one of the biggest things that we completely underestimate is the language barrier. It is so huge that it is ridiculous. Even within India, I feel we are not reaching a lot of the organizations because we have a language barrier within India. And there's also a perception within nonprofits, at least uh, I think in the Asia region, that if I don't answer for a proposal request in English, I will not make it. So I think it's a lot of perceptions. It's a lot of, I would say, um, legacy, which is hurting even when both parties want to change. Now, let's see how the next five, 10 years pan out. But uh, this is the place where I feel we could draw from the corporate sector. And I know a lot of people don't like that when I say is I feel a lot of the corporate sector works on what the customer is demanding. It does not make a difference whether what your CEO thinks or what, you know, anybody or shopkeeper thinks. If the customer demands something, you get it. And that orientation to me is a bit missing in the development. Shivani and Laura, I'd like to take you to the future as part of the feature of this podcast. And talking about the future of leadership and its practicalities. But So we are in 2033. And you've applied all your um, themes, your ideas, your movement. It's been happening with ups and downs. What do you see yourself saying uh, about the practice of generous and trusted shared leadership as you have been practicing for all these years? That's something I can kind of immediately come in. I would say... We started, it was a watershed moment in the way CEOs were perceived Mm -hmm. and power positions were perceived. Uh, It was not so much about the self, but about the role. Mm -hmm. Laura, I've got a question for you as well. So think about 2033. What do you feel you need, you could have behaved or done more of, irrespectively of outcomes in the past 10 years? I took the easy one, Laura. I think, which is something that's already happening. uh, And I think it's the next level of decolonizing. It's really creating participatory approaches in everything we do. Because even if you talk about it, you listen, you speak other language, I think all of this is critical for change. But if you really want to apply the platinum rule at its core, it's being not asking what you think is sustainability, but asking the ecosystem what changes, how do you want, who should be doing it, and having more money moving in the right direction. 
I think going back to the question you asked about the barriers, the system of how things are financed, I think in a way it's going the other way. So we are talking about like we need to speak multiple languages. We need to be able to create space for people to be able to communicate in different ways in the way they feel comfortable with. But when you're talking about the way the money moves, it's a lot asking for small organizations to adapt themselves to the big system. So it's again creating a language that's very difficult for them to understand. So you can't ask them in their language. It doesn't matter. You're still asking them to measure things that make no sense for them, even if you're asking their own language. So it's, it's for the system to change, and I don't think it's going to happen in 10 years. I think it's going to take longer for that. Uh, I think it's talking about all the, all the different languages that we use in the system. Again, one of, one of the things I, I've read about and I've been in conversations about, and I, I don't want to become very political, but I think it's a very good example when you understand how the far right has been funding the movement and how the more liberal or progressive, or I won't say left, because I don't think big organizations giving money for social impact are necessarily left, which doesn't matter. I mean, there's no judgment here, but the right-wing and the more progressive, the right-wing has been much more flexible. The money flows and that it has allowed for the movement to be able to do things that we're seeing happening in the world, in the States with uh, reproductive rights and uh, all the pushbacks with the, the, the more progressive uh, movement. And, and the more progressive side still being asking reports and metrics and very constrained ways of measuring change and making all these organizations spending too much time proving they're doing the work instead of doing the work. So I think if that doesn't change, it's gonna be very difficult to see the progress. So I like this, this stunning example of looking at what you're, well, the people you might, might not agree with, how they do the work and how they make things flow. What a, I'm not gonna say cool um, example, but, but a interesting example of that really, inspiring ourselves from any example around that um, and manage to reach their purpose, whichever it is. So I wonder, as uh, we're coming to an end of our moment together in this house of trust, is what more do you think or feel or want to say in a nutshell that would close our time together? Mm. First of all, thank you for having us over here. I know there's a lot of negativity in the system about a lot of stuff which is happening in the world, which is not cool, right? From wars to refugees, to famines, to inflation. But I think one should keep going at it, keep working on it. I think even one life altered and changed can make a lot of difference. So I would say we should understand the lay of the land, but keep our positivity in mind as we work in this sector. It's very, very important to keep a positive mindset. Thank you, Shivani, for this message of hope. What about you, Laura? What more do you think or feel or want to say as we close in our time together? Well, thank you as well. Really great to have this space to think together. For me, 
the I think there are two things that are really missing is deep listening and really seeing because when we see what's happening with climate and I mean and violence against women and all the injustice and all the patriarchal system we are in if people cannot see what's happening like what else needs to happen in the world for people to see there is a climate crisis a climate emergency so i think it's really people opening really their eyes and their ears and see that everybody needs to play some type of role in making a change uh, so i think people they see but they don't see they hear but they don't hear so i think listening and i don't know if you can say deep seeing <laughs> the world deep listening deep seeing and we've got all these eyes and ears generally they come in pairs there must be a reason thank you so much laura samogi and shivani gupta from the humanity foundation for spending this time so this is it for this episode of be and think in the house of trust i'm your host Servan Moison. i look forward to our next show for more thinking seeing and listening so this series is available wherever you love to listen to your podcast Connect with me through servanmoison.co.uk and um, get some regular conscious innovation updates to help you navigate all these mental models that are needed to collectively and individually ignite positive social and environmental change. That's it for me. Stay well. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye.